Would you remain standing in honor of God's word as we go to the text from which my assignment comes today, the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter number two, Ruth chapter number two, it'll go up on the screens in case you don't know where the book of Ruth is, right? It's not like finding the book of Matthew. You can kind of miss the book of Ruth. It's small. It's only four chapters. It's one of the greatest stories in all the Bible. It's the original Romeo and Juliet story. Ruth, chapter number two. We're beginning a new series called Perfect Relationships or Anything But. Anybody have a perfect relationship besides my wife? Anybody have a perfect relationship? Right? Relationships are not perfect. They are imperfect in so many different ways because they're made up of imperfect people, people who have all sorts of issues and baggage and selfish and want things their own way. But the Bible does give us guidelines for how to run our relationship lives, if you will. And that's what this series is all about. What does the Bible have to say about relationships? And today, we're going to talk about romantic relationships because it's almost Valentine's Day. And so if you need to get your romance groove on, get ready. Ruth, Chapter number two, beginning in verse number one. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz, and so Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I might find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who is in charge of the reaper, who's that fine young thing in the field over there? He actually said, who's the young woman? But I think he said what I said. Anyway, um, so the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, it is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and continued from morning until now, though she rested a little while in the house. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not not rebuke her. In honor of St. Valentine's Day and this story, which is the original Romeo and Juliet story, I want to talk to you about today the subject, the romantic checklist. The romantic checklist. Don't look at me in that tone of voice like you don't have a list. You know y'all got a list, especially you single people out there. You got a list. All the single ladies, all the single ladies. You know you got a list, right? Ladies, tall, dark, and handsome. 44 chest, 34 waist, smart, fun-loving, a planner, but yet he knows how to wing it. He's educated. He's got a good job, a family guy. Ladies, that's your list. Men, you got a list too, 36, 26, 36. That's the extent of the man list, right? It's because us men, we're so shallow when it comes to those kind of things. But there is a right list. There is a romantic list that I believe God gives us in the Bible, some instructions for how to choose a mate, how to get along with a mate that also apply not to just dating and marriage, but any relationship really. And we're going to look at this today. And I got to be honest with you. It is not easy to find a good example of a relationship a romantic relationship in the Bible. I mean, where do you go? You can't go to David and Bathsheba, can you? You can't go to Samson and Delilah. You can't even go to Abraham and Sarah. 
I mean, Abraham, the father of our faith, he kicked it with his wife's maidservant, had an illegitimate child, and then lied about his wife being his sister. I mean, you can't go to that relationship. It's not a good relationship. You can't go to Jacob. Jacob wanted to marry Rachel. Instead, he married her sister Leah, and then a week later married uh, uh, the one that he wanted, which was Rachel. It was the first example in the Bible of sister wives. So you can't go to that relationship, right? You can't go to Solomon. Solomon had 700 wives and concubines. Kind of challenges the thought that he was the wisest man that ever lived, not with 700 wives he wasn't, right? So where do you go? And there's only a couple of good relationship examples in the Bible because of what we said. Relationships are made up of imperfect people. They're inconsiderate. They're moody. They're argumentative. They want things their own way. They got baggage. But there is a couple of them. And one of the greatest examples of a right romantic relationship is the story of Ruth and Boaz. And so that's where we're going today to find out what our relationship or romantic checklist ought to look like. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we open our hearts up to you. Father, at all of our campuses, everybody tuning in from wherever they are, we open our hearts up to you right now. We ask you to speak to us, Lord, and I ask for your anointing, which makes preaching effective. Father, would you minister grace and life to each person who's hearing this word today? In Jesus' name, and everybody said, you may be seated. The story of Ruth and Boaz begins really as the story of Ruth and Naomi, and it begins as a bitter story as a broken story, as a story that doesn't start out real well. Matter of fact, in their situation, life gets as bitter as it can possibly get, and life is as broken as it can possibly get. Naomi, who is the matriarch of the family, is married to a man by the name of Elimelech. Elimelech is a, is a good man. He's a godly man. They have two sons, uh, Chilean and uh, I forget his name. It's Malian, I think, but it's, I call him Max and Chuck because nobody calls their kids Malian and Chilean. So Max and Chuck are the two sons and, and Max and Chuck marry these two girls. One is a Moabitess by the name of Ruth and the other is somebody by the name of Orpah, not to be confused with Oprah, although Oprah got her name from Orpah. It's a true story. They just mixed the letters up a little bit there. And, uh, there's a famine in the land where they live. And so they decide to take refuge in another land for a short period of time to ride the famine out. And they think they're just going to go there for just a little while and then come back home and kind of resume life the way it's always been. But when they go to this other land, they wind up staying there for 10 years. And in the course of time, life gets really hard and really difficult for Naomi and her daughter-in-laws because Naomi's husband Elimelech dies and both of her sons die. And in any day and age, this is a difficult pill to swallow. It's a bitter time of life. But in Bible times, it was even more bitter because a woman was dependent upon her husband, first of all, and then her sons after her husband passed away to take care of her. And so Naomi's life has come crumbling down along with the lives of her daughter-in-laws. And, uh, you know, life is really, really hard for them and really, really bitter. But here's what I want to stop and say. Sometimes life can get like that for all of us. Life can get bitter for all different sorts of reasons, the loss of a loved one or a tragedy or a disease or the loss of a job and maybe kids that are going down the wrong direction, all that kind of stuff. But we cannot stop at only part of the story. This story is just beginning. It's not over. We've got to have faith in the end of the story. We've got to realize that we serve a God who is the author and finisher of our faith. And sometimes we've got to tough out life. I like what one person said, tough times don't last, but tough people too. Sometimes we've got to 
tough out life. And the reason why we as Christians ought to be able to tough out life is because we know the God that we serve. We know that God is able to take all things, even the bitter things of life, and turn them around for our good. And so even though this is part of the story, it's not the end of the story. And I just feel like God wants to encourage somebody today, wants to encourage somebody who's watching out there at one of our campuses that don't stop at the bitter part of the story. Don't hit the pause button. Don't camp out there. God's got better things in store for you. The end is not told yet, and God will come through for you. And so their story is real bitter right now, and there's a famous portion of the story where Naomi goes to her um, daughter-in-laws, and she basically says, listen, you girls need to go back home. You need to go back to your own land. You need to go back to your own people. You need to get new husbands so you can go on with life again, and, and I'll just kind of pick up the pieces and move on however I possibly can. And, and you remember the story. It goes like this. I'm going to pick it up in verse number 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah her mother uh, kissed her mother-in-law, Ruth, but Ruth clung to her. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to our people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And the Lord do to me also, and more, if anything but death parts you and me. And in this famous portion of the story where Ruth decides to stay with Naomi, we find the first thing on our romantic checklist. And the first thing on our romantic checklist is to be spirit led. Be spirit led. I want you to notice that Orpah leaves and Ruth cleaves. One exits Naomi's life and the other one chooses to stay. Ruth chooses to stay because she sensed in her spirit that her relationship with her mother-in-law was a destiny relationship. She didn't know why it was a destiny relationship. It didn't appear like it was the best choice for her to stay with her mother-in-law Naomi. It wasn't that she was in harm's way. It wasn't that it was an ungodly relationship, never stay in those relationships, but it would have been better for her to go and get married again, but something on the inside of her was saying, you know what, you need to stay with your mother-in-law, you need to be committed to her, you need to serve the God that she's taught you about, you need to die where she dies, you need to live where she lives, total commitment, she doesn't know why, but she senses in her spirit that this is a destiny relationship, and all throughout the Bible, there are examples of destiny relationships. Elisha knew that Elijah was a destiny relationship. And so he left everything. He left his work to follow after Elijah because he knew his destiny was tied to that relationship. Timothy knew that his destiny was tied to the relationship of the apostle Paul. And Joshua knew that his destiny was tied to the relationship of Moses. And, and the disciples knew that their destiny was tied to Jesus. And Jonathan and David knew that their destinies were tied together. There are destiny relationships relationships that will come into our lives. And matter of fact, of all the things that form our relationships or form our destiny outside of our relationship with God, relationships with people have the greatest impact on our destiny. There are destiny relationships and then there are destiny destroying relationships. And we need to follow the spirit of God when it comes to knowing which is which. When it comes to knowing which relationships to stay in, to cleave to, and which relationships to leave in life. And so often as Christians, we kind of treat the Holy Spirit like he's the last resort. 
We check with our flesh. We check with our likes. We check with our dislikes. We check with our friends. We check with the people that love us. And then if we don't get the answer we want, then we check with the Holy Spirit, you know. But the Holy Spirit is living on the inside of us. And you know what his job is? His job is to coach us through life. He's supposed to lead and guide us into all truth. And if we would check with the Holy Spirit when it comes to relationships, I don't think we'd ever go down the wrong road because the Holy Spirit will never lead us into a relationship that is going to hurt us. He'll never ask us to stay into a relation in a relationship that is going to destroy our destiny and he won't ask us to exit a relationship that we need in our life we need to pay attention to the holy spirit notice that one person leaves one person cleaves orpa leaves and i want you to notice what they did when orpa said she was going to go the scripture said they kissed her goodbye can i tell you one of the best spiritual gifts that I believe the Holy Spirit could give you, it's called the gift of goodbye. It's learning how to say goodbye to the people that choose to exit your life. The worst thing that you could ever do is force somebody to stay in your life who wants to leave your life. If they're leaving your life, their part of the story is over. You do not need to super glue them to you. You don't need to convince them to stay. Just kiss them goodbye. Kick them goodbye sometimes, but you get the point. Love it when people come to me and say, Pastor, I just feel led to, to go to another church. Bye. I don't mean that mean like, but I mean, if you've come to church here and, and you've experienced the presence of God, you've experienced the, the worship and the teaching and the small groups and the relationship, and you don't feel like this is right for you, I can't convince you to stay. And if I convince you to stay, all you're going to be is a thorn in my flesh. So bye. See you later. I don't need nobody waiting for me at the back critiquing the message. And, well, you know, Pastor, I didn't receive today because of this. And I didn't receive today. Bye. It's not you. It's me. Bye. I get my knees met somewhere else. Bye. You know, I don't think I love you anymore. Bye. Why would you want to try to convince somebody to stay in your life that doesn't want to be in your life? Love is a two-way street. Both people got to have some want to. And if somebody loses their want to... Bye. Jesus even teaches us this. Did you notice? He says, and whoever will not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart from that city or that house, mark it down, go back and visit them at a later time. Uh-uh. He said, dust the dust off of your feet. He said, keep it moving. Keep it moving. Don't get stuck in trying to convince somebody that doesn't want to stay in your life to stay in your life. That'll destroy your destiny. It'll delay your destiny. If they've exited, you don't need them. God will send the right people in your life at the right time in order for you to fulfill the destiny that he has for you. Be spirit led. Trust the Holy Spirit. God, is this person supposed to be in my life? God, do you, have you sent this person in my life? Or has the enemy sent this person in my life? Because the enemy will also send people to you. God will send people to you in order to help you with your destiny. The enemy will send people to you to destroy your destiny and deter you from your destiny. That's why you need the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He will lead you. He will guide you. It may not make sense. It might not seem right on the outside, but go with what the Spirit of God on the inside of you is saying. If there is no peace on the inside of you, Bye. If there is if there is confusion in your heart and an unsettledness in your heart, bye. If you have peace, stay.
Go with the Holy Spirit. Be Spirit-led. Can I tell you a little bit of my story? Some of you heard it before. Um, Early on in my life, I did not make wise romantic choices. And in the middle of the wrong romantic relationship, God called me in the ministry, which is a whole nother message, right? How many of you know that sometimes God will call you when you're not even ready? He might not release you until you're ready, but he'll call you when you're not ready. Abraham was a sun and a moon worshiper when he called him. See, we think that God only calls perfect people. No, God calls imperfect people, and I think everybody could say, I'm an example of that, right? I don't mean me, but I mean all of us, right? We're all examples of that. And so he called me, and in the middle of that, as soon as he called me, the first thing I heard the Holy Spirit say, and I kind of heard the Holy Spirit say it before that, he said, it's time to kiss Orpah goodbye. He said, you need to exit this relationship. But you know what I did? The same thing most of us do. I fought with the Holy Spirit for four years. I just ignored the voice of the Holy Spirit for four years. And you know what happened? My life began to go in the opposite direction as my destiny. All because I wouldn't listen to the Holy Spirit. Don't ignore the Holy Spirit. You know how we do the Holy Spirit when he tells us things that we don't like? We act like it's not the Holy Spirit. You know, we act like it's just something else going on. We'll even rebuke the devil and it's the Holy Spirit. You know, for instance, if you hear the Holy Spirit say, this is your week to begin tithing, you'll be like, get behind me, Satan. Right? We, we tend to push the Holy, and I'm pushing the Holy Spirit aside, but I knew that this was not the right relationship with me. And then I had an encounter with Christ. And thank God for encounters with Christ. Thank God when we are met on our Damascus roads and Jesus makes himself real to us. That's how faithful Jesus is, that even when we're going down the wrong road, Jesus will appear to us on the wrong road to get us on the right road. Aren't you happy for Jesus? And so Jesus made himself real to me, and, and when he made himself real to me, I, I kissed Orpah goodbye. About a year later, God brought my destiny relationship. God brought my wife, Lisa, into my life, and it was wonderful because she was a godly woman. She was a woman who, who had the same family values that I had, and she had the same desires uh, for the things of God that I had, and she was perfect in every way, and she was also sexy. Come on, somebody. You don't think God's going to send me somebody ugly, do you? I mean, come on. By the way, you don't have to marry somebody you think is ugly. I mean, other people may think they're ugly, but that that doesn't matter. You don't have to marry somebody you, because in the church we teach like, you know what, like like looks are not important at all. No, let me, just, just trust me on this one. If you are not attracted to the person that you wind up being married to, you're going to have problems, because guess what happens? People get even uglier over time. Nobody can fight it. I mean, everybody gets ugly over time. It's just the way that life goes. We, we deteriorate on the outside, but on the inside, we get renewed day by day, right? And so thank God he sent me not just a godly wife, but a sexy wife. And I was like, you go with your bad self, God, you know? But you got to be willing to be spirit-led. And Lisa was my destiny relationship. I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for my relationship with my wife. 
because it was her dad that was relocated here to Connecticut. He's the reason why we moved to Connecticut. He's the reason why we got hooked up with this church. If that, if I never met Lisa, I wouldn't be right here. I don't even know a faith church would be right here because we were the ones who initiated the building of this building and God has done great things since. I know we wouldn't have a campus in New York City if I didn't meet my, my wife, Lisa. I know we wouldn't be opening up a campus in Atlanta. I know we wouldn't be opening up a campus in Waterbury. I know we wouldn't be on television all around the world touching lives. I know all those people may not have got baptized here in this church. They might have got baptized someplace else. Destiny relationships. Relationships that you, that if you, if you don't say yes to them, you could abort the most important thing, which is the reason why God put you on the planet. So check. Be spirit led. Number two on the checklist, stay faithful. It was hard for Naomi and Ruth to make it in their society. The only means of supporting themselves was to go and glean in the fields after the harvesters. It was a law in the time that the harvesters would have to leave scraps behind and that people who needed it can go and pick it up. And it was a hard life to go working in the fields all the time. But Ruth did it day after day after day. And I got to thinking about Ruth, and I'm going to modernize the story a little bit. Ruth didn't have to go to the field. Ruth could have went to the club. Ruth didn't have to stay faithful. She could have put out to get a man. She could have been easy just so she could get a man so she didn't have to go to the field anymore. But you know what Ruth did? She stayed faithful. And she stayed faithful even in the difficult times. She stayed faithful when it wasn't easy. And because she stayed faithful, and listen, this is a word for somebody. When you stay faithful, you will eventually walk into the favor of Almighty God. You've got to stay faithful, though. Faithfulness attracts the favor of God. And so look at what the Scripture says. It says, when she left... And went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who is of the family of Elimelech. I love the phrase, she happened to come to the field. She happened to. Just so happened that she picked that field. Just so happened that Boaz was there at that particular time visiting the field. Do you know if you are a child of God, nothing just happens? That if you are a child of God, your steps are ordered of the Lord. That when you are a faithful child of God, even your missteps God will use as the right steps. Nothing just happens when you are a child of God. It wasn't coincidence that the whale was waiting for Jonah when he was thrown overboard at that particular spot. It didn't just happen like that. It didn't just happen that when Joseph went to jail, there was a butler and a baker in jail from the palace at the exact same time. It didn't just happen that there was a ram caught in a thicket when Abraham went to offer his son Isaac so he could offer the ram in his stead. It didn't just happen that the ravens brought Elijah bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. It didn't just happen that Jesus was passing by the woman with the issue of blood after 12 years when she went to another city to get medical attention. It doesn't just happen like that. It happens because the steps of a good man, steps of a good woman are ordered of the Lord. It didn't just happen. 
that Ruth, of all the portions of the field that she could have picked, picked the portion of the field that belonged to Boaz. It didn't just happen that Boaz visited the field to check up on the field at the exact moment when Ruth was gleaning from the field. It didn't just happen that of all the ladies and all the servants that were there, uh, men servants that were there gleaning from the fields and harvesting the fields, that Boaz happened to look at Ruth. It didn't just happen that way. It happened because when you're faithful, you walk into the favor of Almighty God. Watch this. Watch how easy it was for her after being faithful during the difficult times. I just heard the Holy Spirit say this. Just be faithful. Your easy season's coming. Just be faithful. Your easy season's coming. Now listen, easy seasons don't stay around forever. Life ebbs and flows, right? Life goes through sowing seasons and reaping seasons and sowing seasons and reaping seasons and sowing seasons and reaping seasons. But my Bible also tells me that there's coming a time where the harvesters will overtake the sowers. In other words, that the favor of God will begin to flow so much in your life that you'll enter a season of extreme favor in your life. But You've got to remain faithful. Look at this. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. And do not reproach her. That means leave her alone. Don't do anything indecent to her. Do not reproach her. And let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So here is Ruth. She's going at it like she does every day. She's got her head down because she's gleaming. Sometimes in life, you know what faithfulness is? It's just putting your head down and keeping on, keeping on. Why don't you do anything different? Because God hasn't told you to do anything different. It's like following the GPS. If the woman on the GPS doesn't talk, you just keep going straight. Hello? Don't you get nervous when she don't talk? I mean, listen, most of us guys, we, we get happy when the women don't talk. But, but when the woman on the GPS don't talk, right, we get nervous. And we, you hit the button, right? You know, they make the woman talk again. And what does the woman say? The one said, just keep on traveling down the same road again. Sometimes in life, just got to put your head down and keep walking. And so there's Ruth. She's got her head down and she keeps walking. And all of a sudden, boom, she stumbles into a bundle of wheat. Drop there for her, not on accident, but on purpose. And so instead of having to gather it up and tying it up and only come up with a little, it's waiting on her right there. Just stay faithful because your favor season is waiting on you. But the key to getting your favor season is for you to just walk in that faithfulness even during the difficult times. Stay faithful. Stay faithful to the Lord. Stay faithful in doing what's right. Stay faithful in your relationships. That's how you have the right kind of relationships in life. Number three, look beyond the surface. Look beyond what you can see with your physical eyes, which as we said before is important, right? right? Nobody, nobody gets attracted to somebody who they don't find attractive right away. Right? Usually the first thing that grabs us is, oh, I think they're attractive. Even though that's important, it is not the most important thing. Because some people get involved in a relationship because of 36, 26, 36, and find out that when the elevator goes to the top floor, there ain't nothing there. And 36, 26, 36 is going to turn into 36, 36, 46. Sooner or later, trust me. And so you got to look beyond 
what the eye can see. Notice verse 11 says, And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me. In other words, he was getting the scoop. Can I tell you when you're involved in a relationship, romantic or otherwise, get the scoop. It has been fully reported to me. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. Here's what Boaz is saying. Girl, yes, you're fine, but that's not why I want you to be mine. He's saying, girl, there's something that causes me to stare that is really, really rare. It's a virtuous woman. I don't just see a woman who's pretty. I see a woman who's godly. I see a woman who is committed. I see a woman who is family-oriented. I see a woman who is hardworking. I see a woman who loves the things of God. I see a virtuous woman. And a virtuous woman, the Bible says, is rare to find. You know what I think needs to happen? I think in the church, we ought to be raising up virtuous young ladies and honorable young men. And here's what that's going to take. That's going to take some of us seasoned folks. That's a polite way of saying older folks. Some of us seasoned folks taking time to invest in the life of some of the the younger folks. Matter of fact, when we get older, I think we have more to offer. Isn't it a lie of the enemy sometimes? As you get older, it's kind of like, well, you know, what are you going to do now? Your time has passed. You missed your window. I believe as you get older, you get wiser. And as you get wiser, you have more to offer. And as you get wiser, you can pour into other people. And the greatest delight in life is pouring into other people. Don't ignore what you see. Look beyond the surface to the things that really matter. Beauty needs to go beyond just skin deep. And then that brings me to the fourth thing on the checklist. Don't ignore what you see. Look beyond the surface. And then when you see, don't ignore what you see. Have you heard the expression, love is blind? It's a lie. Love is not blind. I'll tell you why. Because everybody that has had bad things happen after they fall in love always says this, the warning signs were there the whole time. I just chose to ignore them. Love is not blind. You got to have a good person like this in the sanctuary every single week to get everybody else going. Love is not blind. We see it, but we choose to ignore it. And, and, and we cannot ignore the things that are there. They're warning signs in our lives. We need to see how people act, not just in good times, but in pressurized times. Pressure brings out the person. I'm not talking about a perfect person. Everybody has bad moments. But I'm talking about a person who has perpetually bad patterns. A person who has perpetually bad patterns is not ready for a relationship. They should not be your relationship choice because relationships are not about renovation. Oh, that was good right there. Relationships are not about renovation. God is the renovator. We are not the renovator. You and I cannot change anybody. Only God can change them. People get involved with somebody thinking, well, I'll just change them. I'll just change them. No, you know what will happen? They'll change you. Bad company corrupts 
good morals. Good morals don't make bad company good. Works the other way around. And so notice, I want you to see, what was Ruth's reaction under stress? Boaz says, come glean in my field. She falls on her face, verse 10, bowed down to the ground, said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? In other words, she was grateful even though times were difficult. Imagine if she would have said, well, it's about time somebody noticed me. After all this hard work that I've been doing here. And what are you doing acting like you're doing a favor for me? The law says you're supposed to let me glean from your field. The least you could do is get me a cup of water and tell them pigs to do nothing to reproach me. I mean, what are you acting like you're doing some type of favor for me? If she did that, you know what that would have been? Warning light. High maintenance right here. Warning light. Baggage light. Wounded light. Selfish light. Freeloader light. Lazy light. World owes me light, relationship light, pay, pay attention to the warning lights, and most importantly, pay attention to the Christ light. If the Christ light is not there, listen to me, you got no business in a romantic relationship with that person. Two types of relationships never work, renovation relationships and missionary dating. You know what missionary dating is? It's when you think that you're going to save them by dating them. Uh-uh. Never works. Seen it happen too many times. You wind up getting married. The person doesn't come to the Lord. All of a sudden you have kids. The kids want to know, why isn't mommy? Why isn't daddy coming to church with us? How come you don't pray, daddy? How come you don't pray, mommy? Because daddy or mommy ain't saved in this situation because mommy or daddy thought that they would get mommy or daddy saved when they started dating and it didn't work out that way. You cannot... Get involved romantically with somebody who doesn't have the Christ light. How do you know if somebody has the Christ light? Well, they told me that they were a Christian. And Listen to me. Can I just get on the guys for a minute? Ladies, guys will lie about everything. They will, especially if they're not a Christian, they will tell you everything you want to hear because they're thinking 36, 26, 36. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian too. And what they really mean is I got baptized when I was a baby. Haven't been to church my whole life, but I got baptized when I was a baby. So I'm a Christian. If they don't have a prayer life, if they don't regard the word of God, if they are not committed to church, if they don't have a biblical worldview, I don't care what they say. They're probably not a Christian. And if you think I'm being too hard on it, Jesus himself said you'll know them by their fruit. When you go to the grocery store, and you look over all the fruit. Do you pick all the rotten ones and put them in your carpet, uh, cart? Oh, I can't wait to get home and enjoy this apple with that big worm in it right there. Oh, that eggplant right there is rotten on one side. I'll just cut off the rot and eat the good part. You pass over on it. But yet in our relationship life, it seems like people have a habit of just picking up the rotten fruit and just picking up the rotten fruit and just, I'll just fix that rotten fruit up. I'll just cut a little bit of that rotten fruit off here and a little bit of that rot off there and I'll have me something nice at the end, end of it. No, you won't. You'll cut everything up in your own life. Pay attention to the warning lights in life. Pay attention to what you see. In Ruth's case, what Boaz saw was good. She was loyal. She was committed. She was godly. She was family first. She was compassionate. She was willing to work through tough times. She was respectful. She showed honor. And she did all this under really, really difficult situations. 
Be spirit-led, check. Stay faithful, check. Look beyond the surface, check. Don't ignore what you see, check. Number five on the checklist, let those with wisdom speak into your life. In every area of relationship, in the area of choosing a mate, in the area of struggling with your mate, do you know why some marriages go down? Because they refuse to get help. And they refuse to get help because they are embarrassed to bring their issues to, to somebody. Bring your issues to somebody who's got a track record of a good marriage. You don't want to go for marriage counseling for somebody who's been divorced six times. You say, well, they had a lot of practice. No, <laughs> no condemnation if you've been divorced. There's grace for that. I believe, biblically speaking, you can get married if you've been divorced again. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul said it would be better to marry than to burn. Right? So if you've been divorced, you can't handle yourself. Then the Bible says, you know, you need to get married again. It's better to burn than that. You know what that means, right? Hello? You know what that means, right? Do you all know what that means? You said no? It means that if you can't handle being celibate for the rest of your life, it's better to get married so you don't have to be celibate. Although I know these days some marriages have celibacy in them. That's a problem. We're going to talk about that maybe next week. That's not my romantic list for today, right? You have to let people with wisdom speak into your life. You have to have people who, who have a track record of godliness speak into your life. Whether you're single, whether you're in a work relationship that's on the rocks, whether you're in a marriage relationship that's on the rocks, whatever the relationship is, let people with wisdom. You know what Ruth did? She went to Naomi. I want you to look at what Naomi said to her. And Naomi, chapter 3, verse 1, her mother-in-law said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he will be, at, he will be winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, check out this relationship advice. Therefore, wash yourself, anoint yourself, and put on some good clothes. Let me say it again. Relationship advice. Wash yourself. Anoint yourself. Put on some good clothes. Right? Now, we tend to adhere to this when we are searching for a mate. Right? Nobody, nobody goes out on a date with stanky breath. Right? There are plenty of married people who don't care what their breath smells like around their spouse. Man, how are you going to expect your marriage to remain romantic if you stink all the time? Wash yourself. Anoint yourself. Put on some good clothes. Everybody hangs out in pajamas some of the time. But come on, man, 24-7, 365, we got to do a little something about that, don't we? Got to wash yourself, anoint yourself, put on some nice clothes. Get yourself fixed up, men. Get yourself fixed up, women, for one another. Go out on a date, enjoy yourself's company, put on some cologne. Don't come in from working all day, working with mowing the grass and coming back from the gym and say, come on, baby, let's kick it. Uh-uh. It's nasty. Relationship advice. Wash yourself, anoint yourself, put on some good clothes. Watch this. She said, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. This is such good advice, isn't it? Let the man walk in the house before you hit him with a million things. 
Let him eat. Let him drink. Consider your wife. Consider what she's been doing all day. Consider how she's been uh, maybe working. Most women today work outside the house and work inside the house. When the men only work outside the house and then come home and they get, just give the woman a hard time because not everything's up to snuff. Right? Give each other a little space to, to pull it together before you. Pick the right times to have discussions about certain things. Right? Don't, don't just go for it in the heat of the moment. Just don't go for it when somebody is not settled. This is awesome advice. Then watch this, she says. Then it shall be um, when he lies down that you shall make yourself known to him where he lies. And you shall go in, uncover his feet. <laughs> I'm not feeling that right now. I'm not... I'm not I'm not feeling that right there. Like, you know, most people's feet should not be uncovered. You know, I'm just saying. And lie down. And he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I'll do it. Now, before I tell you what she meant... Because obviously she didn't mean what y'all think she meant, right? Y'all think she's telling her how to, you know. But she's not married. And if you're not married, you shouldn't listen to nobody tell you, you know. Because if you're not married, you know is off limits. What do you mean, Pastor? Why is it off limits? Because you want to talk about not seeing stuff. Go ahead and put that on limits when you're not married, early in your relationship, and you will miss every warning sign that pops up. So she's not saying go in and cheapen yourself. She's not saying go in and put out. But I want to focus on this last part. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. Notice how she is so willing to submit to the wisdom of somebody who's godly. Somebody has a proven track record of a successful marriage till death did her part. She's willing. Do you know why I got out of that bad relationship? I listened to my mama. I was in the wrong relationship. Mama knew my son is a good catch. Mama knew my son, man, any woman should be happy to be with my son. I mean, this woman is crazy for not appreciating my son. Mama knew that. Mama saw, though, how unfaithful she was, which is crazy, right? And she said, you're 18 now. She said, I can't tell you who you can see and who you can't see because you'll sneak if you want to. She said, but this is my house, and she can't come in my house no more. And then Mama picked up the phone. She called the other girl's mom. She said, I just want you to know, your daughter can't come here no more. Don't mess with an Italian mom. <laughs> I, I was mad. Come on, mom. How, how could you do that? Embarrass me like that? I know what I'm doing. I know how to handle my relationship business. I know. I don't need you to tell me this and tell me this. Because you know, when you're 18, you know everything. 
When you're 18, you know how relationships should work, how they shouldn't work. You know where the boundaries should be. You know who's good and you know who's not. You know more than everybody that's lived twice your age, three times. You're smarter than everybody when you're 18. No, you know what you are when you're 18? Forgive me if you're 18. Stupid. Stupid on your way, hopefully, to smart. But the only way you can smart enough is if you listen to people who have some wisdom before you, right? And so I was mad, but you know what? On the inside, the Holy Spirit said, you know mama's right. Can I encourage some of you parents out there who's, who's 18-year-olds, who, who's 16-year-olds are saying, I don't want don't to, talk, don't talk to me. I'm not going to listen to you about that. I'll do what I want. I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other thing. Keep on telling them. Keep on telling them. Keep on telling them. The word of the Lord will not return unto you void, but it will accomplish that which the Lord pleases and prosper in the thing where God sends it to prosper. And I kept saying in my heart, I know mama's right. I know mama's right. I know mama's right. And eventually, I did what Mama said. And because I did what Mama said, God brought my Ruth. I kissed Orpah goodbye. I actually kicked Orpah goodbye to the curb. And God brought Ruth into my life. My wife, Lisa. Listen to those who have wisdom. What did Ruth exactly say, or Naomi exactly say to Ruth? Two laws in the Bible times that you need to understand. The first one is the law of redemption. The law of redemption says that if you lost your land to unfortunate circumstances, like because of a famine, the next of kin could come in and buy your land back and give it back to you. And if they would get their land back, Ruth and Naomi, they would no longer have to have crumbs. They would no longer have to have scraps. They could grow their own stuff. The land was their source of income. And so they saw this next of kin, Boaz. They knew the law. By the way, there's no way Ruth would have known that without listening to Naomi. There are some things that you just miss because you'll never know it if you don't have somebody who knows speaking into your life. And they saw this as an opportunity to get back what the enemy had stolen from them because there was a kinsman known as a kinsman redeemer. And can I just encourage you today that you and I have a kinsman redeemer. His name is Jesus Christ, and he bought back everything that the enemy stole from us. And so when the enemy gets found... He's got to give it back. He's got to give us back our health. He's got to give us back our families. He's got to give us back our finances. He's got to give us back our churches. He's got to give us back our kids. He's got to give us back our careers. Because Jesus purchased it for us on the cross. The law of redemption. There was a second law. It was known as the law of Leverite marriage. And this law said that if a widow had no sons, that a widow could go to the first of kin, ask them to buy back the family land, and marry her to preserve the family name. And so what does Naomi say to Ruth? Go down to the threshing floor. Why? Because after a harvest came in, the owner of the field would stay by the wheat and guard it so nobody would steal it. In other words, he's going to be alone. Why was this important? Because in Bible times, it was a disgrace to reject the request to be a kinsman redeemer. And so here's the wisdom of Naomi. Do not shame him publicly. Do not ask him in front of people 
if he will do this because if he doesn't want to, it's going to be a disgrace and a shame. Here's the principle. The principle of relationship is the principle of honor. If you want to have a strong relationship, you've got to respect and you've got to honor one another. Don't put each other down in public. Don't, don't, don't shame each other. Don't, 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 don't belittle each other. Honor, honor, honor. And so she says, listen, go there and ask him. And here's the reason. Because she said, look, if he doesn't want you, guess what? God's got somebody else. If he doesn't want, God, we trust in the Lord. We don't trust in the man. Yes, we trust in the principles of God, the kinsman redeemer. But if he doesn't want, that God will provide some place else. And then she says, listen, when you get there, here's the part. Uncover the feet. Take his covering and put it over yourself. He'll tell you what to do. Seems like an indecent proposal. By the way, do you ever see that in movies, like where people know they, 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 they shouldn't sleep near one another? That they, they, what they try to do is one person sleeps from the head up here and one person puts the head over here. You ever see that? One person's head by the feet, you know? It's the stupidest thing in all the world. You know why? Your stuff still lines up. How is that going to protect you? Can I, can, is that too real for some people right now? You know, you all think you're doing yourself a favor. You ain't doing yourself no favor like that. But here's why she said that. She said because the covering in Bible times, the coat of an individual was symbolic of their authority. And what she was doing is she was saying, as you put that coat over you, he will know that what you mean is you are asking him to cover you with his authority. You're asking him to be your kinsman redeemer. So she puts the coat over herself. Boaz wakes up, says, who there, who there, who there right now? She says, it's me, it's me. And he sees the covering and he gets so excited. He says, yes, I'll be your kinsman redeemer. But he said, I can't because I'm not your next of kin, which means Boaz had checked it out. He found it all out. He found, and he said, I, I bet there's somebody else that's closer to your family than me. And, and everybody's all disappointed. And it looks like the Romeo and Juliet story is going to end bad, right? It looks like it's going to end bad. And then he says, but listen, he says, you're the one that's supposed to ask or you can arrange for somebody to ask on your behalf. I know you're disappointed. I know you have a lot on your plate. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make the meeting with the other person and I'm going to ask on your behalf. Ladies, you know what a gentleman is? A gentleman is somebody that handles business. A gentleman is somebody that doesn't put extra burdens on you. Guys, step up to the plate. Take the burdens off for your wife. Take the burdens off of the people in your life that you care about. Don't heap it on them. God has gifted you to handle some of those things. Handle your business. And so Boaz goes down. He takes some of the elders of the city and he approaches the guy and he says, listen, you're the next of kin. Will you buy back the land? The guy says, yes, I'll do it. And then Boaz says, well, you do know that if you buy back the land, you also got to marry the widow's daughter-in-law, Ruth. And the guy says, thanks, but no thanks. And the Bible says the guy hands him his shoe. Because in the Bible times, this was the sign that you rejected a covenant. And so when Boaz, it's all about feet, shoes, feet, everything. Hey, Boaz, Boaz gives him the shoe, right? And, and Or the guy gives Boaz the shoe. And what is one man's loss is another man's gain. What am I telling you? I'm telling you that if somebody doesn't want you, bye. God's got somebody better for you. God's got somebody perfect for you. Listen to me, ladies. While you are waiting on your Boaz, 
don't settle for one of his cousins. Boaz is spelt B-O-A-Z. Boaz. His cousins all have the same ending to their name, as. Ladies, when you are waiting on your Boaz, do not settle for one of his cousins. Broke as, lying as, cheating as, dumb as, cheap as, locked up as, good for nothing as, lazy as, and especially his first cousin, beat your ass. Don't, don't, don't you dare. Don't you dare settle for second best. Stay faithful. Stay faithful to God. God knows what you need. He knows the right relationship. He knows the destiny relationship. Well, you know how the story ends, and I want to give you one last thing. On your romantic checklist, make sure they got their stuff together. Boaz was a handsome man. He was a rich man. He was a sensitive man. He was a businessman. He was a godly man, and ladies, that equals a husband. That's what it equals. He had his stuff together. And the story comes to this amazing ending. Boaz marries Ruth, and they have kids, and the name of their first child is Obed. And Obed is the father of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. David is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. You talk about the story not ending at the bitter part. You talk about a God that works all things together for the good, for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. You talk about God taking the bitter things and making them better. You talk about God taking what the devil sent for destruction and bringing them into deliverance. You talk about God noticing her tears. You talk about God having the last word. You talk about God taking what the enemy meant for evil and turning it around for good. You talk about payback. You talk about bounce back. You talk about comeback. You talk about take that from a foreigner to in the family of Jesus Christ. How great is God? How great is God? How great is our God? How great is our God? He's greater than any circumstance. He's greater than any situation. He's greater than your problem. God is greater. I have one final 
item on the romantic checklist. It's brief, literally one sentence, but it's the most important part of the checklist. This relationship that Ruth had with Boaz literally took her from a foreigner apart from Christ to in the lineage of Christ attached to Christ. The last thing on the checklist is, does this relationship draw me closer to Christ or push me further away from Christ? If you can check off everything on the checklist, but you can't check off that, bye. Bye. Because your relationship with Christ, your destiny in Christ is the most important thing that we have in this world. It's the thing that we ought to protect at all cost. Everything else in our lives ought to surrender to what is healthiest for our relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we live in that place, when we live from that point of view, that's when life begins to go in the direction that God has designed for us. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're watching one of our campuses, New York, Waterbury, there in Atlanta, at our breakfast and Bible study and at our services elsewhere on television, online. I want to ask you, how is your relationship with Jesus Christ? The most important relationship is that relationship. And I want to ask you here and you there, if you were to die this minute, this second, do you know that you're right with God through Jesus Christ? Do you know that you'd spend eternity in a place called heaven instead of apart from God in a place called hell? And if you're here today and you're not absolutely sure of where you stand with God, you're here today because God wants to save your soul. He wants to forgive you of your sin. He wants to make you right with him through his son, Jesus Christ. If that's you with no one looking around right where you are, just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to give my life to Jesus Christ today. Hold it up nice and high. I'm going to pray with you. God bless you there. It's awesome. Hold it up. God bless you over here. God bless you over here. It's awesome. That's awesome. You can put your hands down. I'm going to pray with you right now, especially those that, that lifted up your hand. Would you say this out loud all together? Heavenly Father, forgive me. I repent of my sins. I ask you to make me right with you through Jesus Christ. I receive your grace. I put my faith in the finished work of Jesus. I receive him as my Savior. I receive him as my Lord. I'll never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen.